0: coming from my perspective where i've watched it uh, a 10 minute <laughs> a 10 minute run through and then a, a a two and a half hour run through i did find it confusing but I, I completely understood it like i got everything um yeah it's just it's just not as you know cut clear as you know something like shrek where <laughs> you can,
1: you, can find <laughs> the- <laughs> you always that's like the benchmark for movies just comes to shrek <laughs>
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rewatch Podcast. My name is Samuel. And I'm Jaden. And today is a very special podcast because we have, uh, again, hopefully he's here, our uh, returning special guest, and that is Alex.
1: Hello, hello. Uh,
2: he's here. That's good. That's good. It's good to hear you. Um, so this is a podcast <laughs> where we rewatch classical current films every week and then decide whether they deserve a rewatch from you. And this week we watched Inception, And if you remember, when we had Alex on for Revenge of the Sith, uh, he said he wanted to come back to do this movie. And so why is that, Alex? Uh, Why are you um, so drawn to this movie?
1: Well, this would be my favorite movie of all time. Well, top three. Top three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had to get on the podcast with the fellas.
2: Yeah, for sure. No, I, I definitely can see why it would be in your top three. This is a fantastic movie. Mm. Um, so so let's get into it. A um, bit of a story overview. We've had a bit of a hit and miss with IMDb and their story uh, synopsis um, over the podcasts. Um, but I found one from another website today. So IMDb's got the, got the kick. They've been fired. Um, so <laughs> Google says, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is a professional mind thief who steals information by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets. He is offered a chance to have his criminal history erased as payment for the impl- implantation of another person's idea into a target's subconscious. Um, pretty complex movie, isn't this, boys? Yeah,
1: it's definitely complex.
2: <laughs> um, so this <laughs> this film was quite like, well-regarded by critics, actually, for, for Oscar wins, um, which is pretty impressive, and then also for other nominations. And um, I just want to go through some of these Oscars because I feel like, you know, sometimes the Oscars, they get it right, and sometimes they just get it extremely wrong. And well,
1: Especially recently, mm, yeah. the Oscar changes. <laughs> yes. Sam has
2: um, a lot to talk about there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Inception. It came out in 2010, right? And 2010 was an absolutely fantastic time for movies. Here are the nominations for Best Motion Picture. Are you ready? So, Black Swan. That's the one that Natalie Portman won the Oscar Ooh, for. Oh, I've heard that's pretty um, good. Yeah, the Mm. fighter. So that's a movie with Mark Wahlberg. Mark (laughs) Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, like the ones from the Last Jedi, perhaps. Um, so the fighter. Um, that's like a boxing movie that was apparently very good. It's where Christian Bale, um, did one of his body transformations. Oh yeah, one of the many. Obviously, we have Inception. Um, the kids were all right. No idea what that is. Um, The King's Speech. That's a good movie. Um. One hundred and twenty-seven hours. So that's James Franco oh, gets his arms re- stuck in the That's a really good film. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, The Social Network, fantastic film. I will say. I don't know if you boys have seen that. No. But, um, brilliant. Um, Toy Story three as well. Um, and we also had True Grit and Winter's Bone. So I have no idea what those last two are as well. But point is, two thousand eleven was a or the two thousand eleven awards were jam packed with absolute. Like 2010, wouldn't it have been? yeah. But so the 2011 awards because they obviously do the awards a, a year later. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So the King's Speech took out Best Motion Picture for this year, mm-hmm. and no. being a fan of The Social Network, I um, I wanted to watch The King's Speech to see if it was actually any good, and it was good, but it wasn't great. And I think Inception's actually better than King's Speech, to be honest. So you can say that there was a bit of a robbery there. And from somehow, for some feat of nature, Christopher Nolan did not win the best directing category. Um, in fact, he was not even nominated. So there you go. Um, the Oscars are rubbish. A, a freak uh, of nature
0: is Leonardo DiCaprio not getting an Oscar in mm. any of these amazing films until The Revenant came out, which was trash, one of yeah, the worst films. Yeah, and, then he, yeah. and then he got the Oscar for that. Yeah, that that was not. Good. I think that was yeah. just a
1: pity. Like here, you've done all yeah. these good movies. We've forgotten about you.
2: Yeah. They eventually had to give it to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a make-up present. It was like you know the Oscars were like the ex-girlfriend that were like have <laughs> neglected Leonardo DiCaprio for so long, and they're like, oh no, I still love you. <laughs> um, I'm going um, to correctly yeah, like...
1: say it's Leonardo da Vinci, but then I realised that's the da Vinci. <laughs> 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 wrong, no, no, wrong no, Leonardo. Leonardo.
2: You might have a chance to correct me soon because once you see the name of the um one of the characters in this um movie, you might have a bit of PTSD from that tenant oh, episode. Let's but I'm um, so oh, let's, no. <laughs> let's go through the characters real quick. So, obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio is Cobb, mm-hmm. and I will say, what a weird name! Yeah, um, could have gone for something a bit more cool, but whatever. Um, Mr. Cobb. <laughs> and so, Ken Watanabe is, uh, get this, Alex, <laughs> Saito. Oh! No! <laughs>
1: oh, no. This is Sator all over again. You didn't even say his actual name right.
2: No, but I think it is uh, Saito. No, it's um, Saito. It, You're joking. No.
1: <laughs> it's also Ken Watanabe, anyway. not Wantanabe bro. Uh, oh, whatever. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> joseph gordon levitt is arthur um and i will say the next like five names that i'm about to read are all in the dark knight trilogy um marion cotillard is maul um obviously not to be confused with the star wars villain of the same name mm-hmm. um tom hardy is eames uh again another weird name uh killian murphy is robert fisher and we also have michael Caine as well mm-hmm. capping off the the batman crew and
0: um Ellen Page as well, who's the girl that Leonardo talks to to explain the movie. I counted um, seven actors in this film that have appeared in Christopher Nolan movies, which yeah, is quite funny because Christopher Nolan likes to reuse his cast members in various other films that he's created. Especially mm-hmm. Michael Caine. Oh, Michael Caine is yes. like his lucky charm. Yeah, no, I think he has, like, a group
2: chat and he, like, sends a message out to, like, ten <laughs> actors. He's, like, yo, guys, we've got a movie yo, coming. One. On to the who's, who's available? Um, he just tries to... Because you see, like, especially, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt must be in at least three um, Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, Michael Caine's in, like, almost all of them. Um, so, yeah, interesting. And you see the same thing with Martin Scorsese as
1: well. Like, almost every Martin Scorsese... What? God what? bro. You're Corsese, you're so yeah. you're so like Australian, you can't pronounce any any European or anything that's not Australian oh, names. Tell me so. how to pronounce right? Scorsese. Yes, what, Scorsese. not Scorsese. Oh. Oh gosh. Someone like had the wooden the... spoon out by now smacking <laughs> it. Wrong boy, wrong. Pronunciation please. <laughs> God.
2: <laughs> Moving onwards. <laughs> Onward. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, general thoughts, boys. Pros and cons for this movie. Uh, there is a bit of a spoiler at the end, so be careful not to spoil the ending. Um, I think we just move into spoiler region now because you think okay, Yes. Yeah, yeah. so, so well, uh, to... what, what, well, would you say to somebody who hasn't seen this movie, would you would you recommend watching it? And also, yes. like, yes, so you got to think of like. But the average audience member probably thinks this movie is too complicated. What What are your
0: thoughts on that, Jen? Okay. Um, yeah, I can see how this movie would be confusing. And a lot of the time when I'm watching, uh, Christopher Nolan films, I am confused. The very few have watched. Um, but by no means does that make a film terrible. I feel like in a way it kind of makes a film interesting and Christopher Nolan, each film he's done is so different from mainstream media and mainstream film. It's just, it's something different to watch and it's really unique and enjoying to watch. So I'd definitely give it a a recommendation if you haven't watched it or want to rewatch it.
1: And I think that's another point with Christopher Nolan movies is you go into the film and you're constantly thinking about what's happening and you think about it after for a good two, Mm. three hours. You're like, Oh, that's what was happening. Oh, that's what was happening. And that's the beauty of his films. Like Mm. you want to talk about it. You want to go watch it again. You want to understand, look up what the meaning was for yourself and that's yeah. why I think people should watch it.
0: I'm I'm pretty mm. certain that there was still rumors and uh like theories floating around from this film.
1: There's still yeah, theories there's, going yeah, on.
0: Yeah, there's still theories going around about the ending, which is just insane to see the the impact that Nolan's creation has on, you know, theorists and in the audience that's watching it. Yeah. Mm, mm, for sure. No, I agree. The
2: part of the beauty of Christopher Nolan films is that they're extremely confusing at least on the first watch um i feel like most christopher nolan films are designed to be watched twice at least Mm -hmm. um i know with tenet the first time i saw that i was like you know i was in awe like i loved the experience but i missed probably like 30 percent of the main plot i missed Um, missed almost
1: 80 of it i had
2: no clue what the (laughs) the hell was going on yeah and it was especially really hard with the with the sound mixing as well in the cinema but but the second time that I watched that, I had just such a better experience. And um, perhaps, like we can go around the room, how many times have you guys watched this film um, before before watching it this time?
1: Um, um, you go at least five times. I can't count, but at least Holy five.
2: Moly. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Okay,
0: and Jaden. Um, Yeah, look, (laughs) I watched this film probably back in like 2018. No, you don't. No, no, I watched the first 10 minutes of it. And then I decided that it was too confusing and I didn't like Mm. the intro. And then I haven't watched it since. And then uh, two days ago, whatever, I watched it the whole way through in a two and a half hour sitting or however long it is. And
2: I think I think before milsey comes in and tries to like castrate you for doing that, <laughs> I feel like that's a totally reasonable thing to watch the first ten minutes of this and not like only for this movie. For this movie <laughs> yeah, I don't know the first ten minutes. I like obviously you have a reputation of doing this, Jaden, but the first ten minutes of this movie are extremely confusing, mm-hmm. and and you know especially well, we'll get into it a bit soon, but. Especially that very first scene with the ocean, and and you know this character is really old, and we're like, what on earth is going on? And we really don't know what is going on until the very end of the film. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I when I watched this movie for the first time, because I watched this film twice in total, um, once before this, and the first time I watched it, I, I was like, what on earth is going on for for most of the film, to be honest. Um, but then on this. On this rewatch or on the first rewatch, I was really able to, you know, understand a bit more of the plot. Um so so I think it's good that we we all coming from sort of different perspectives here. I've watched it twice, mm-hmm. Jaden's watched it once and obviously Alex has watched it quite a few times. Um so no, so it'll be interesting. I just um, had to, to bite my tongue
1: into. a few times there when you said it was a bit confusing, but right? Punch on
2: later. No, no, no. So, so obviously Nolan films and particularly this film in in particular has a very like confusing plot or not say confusing, but just like very technical premise. Yeah. I must have
1: a very biased look on the, on the film, but I'll be as subjective as possible.
0: Well, I think it's the fact that you've watched it five times. Mm. You know, you you understand the plot and you know, all of the the storylines but coming from my perspective, where I've watched it, a, uh, a ten minute, <laughs> a ten minute run through, and then a, a a two and a half hour run through, I did find it confusing. But I, I completely understood it. Like I got everything. Um, yeah. It's just it's just not as, you know, cut clear as you know something like Shrek where <laughs> you can.
1: that's like the benchmark for movies just come (laughs) look okay it's not as clear as
0: something like like toy story okay um (laughs) you speak about kids movies Okay, let's find an adult film It's not as clear as The Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah, or like James Bond. What say, is like, The Fast know? and the
1: Furious franchise? It, They're like superheroes I, in cars, bro. Like, yeah, that is true. I,
2: I think this is a very... Um, the, obviously, the premise is here to do with dreams. It's essentially a dream heist movie. Like it's essentially a heist movie. So if you think of like other heist movies where this premise isn't at play, like where they don't have to go inside each other's dreams... Um, you know, it's quite a simple layout there. Mm. Um, but to, to this, like they go into dreams inside a dream, inside a dream, I think. And I think certain people are just like, you know, cause I feel like an, at the average audience just want to sit down in, in like an MCU movie and, you know, watch, you know, some big explosions and some, you know, sort yeah. half decent music and, you know, a bad guy who pops up around like, you know. 30 minutes into the film and then defeats him at the end. At <laughs>
1: well, to that, I say, you'll have to dream a little bigger, darling. Oh,
2: yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, he's obviously been um, practicing.
0: That's
1: just one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. If you know what scene I'm talking about. Yeah, that's Joseph yeah, no, Gordon-Levitt, right? No, that's Tom Hardy saying that.
0: Oh, it is too. Oh yes.
1: Cuz he's got the he's got the gun <laughs> and he goes has got to dream a little bigger darling until said a good Oh, that's a great. That's a great moment by the way. That's, that's one of my favorite moments moment. in the movie.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so I think um to get into the spoilers now um I think this deserves a watch, but I feel like people aren't going to really enjoy this movie as much as I did on the second time when they first watch it. Um because I feel like you know, when you first watch a Nolan movie, you're trying to piece together the plot. Like, so it just takes so much brain work, at least for me anyway, um, that I'm not really like relaxed and enjoying the actual experience. Um, I'm sort of like, how is this happening? Why is this happening? You know, all those sort of questions are popping up because we are just being told throughout the entire film, how it works, but watch it once. And I think that might pique your interest enough to watch it a second time because it's a damn good movie anyway. So, yeah. moving on to spoilers, um, do you want to start at the, at the very start with, you know, that weird sort of flashback that's not a flashback that's like maybe in, in limbo? Is that what's going on there? It's,
1: yeah, it's in limbo.
2: Yeah, so... Obviously, at the very start of the film, like Leonardo DiCaprio wakes up on a beach and then he goes into, sees this really old version of Wantanabe or whatever he's called. Um, and <laughs> I'm just going to keep saying it, Alex. I just have to deal with it, bro. I have to deal with it, mate. Um, and we have no context to this whatsoever um, until the yeah. very end of the film. and. And Jaden, watching it, watching this film the first
0: time, what were your thoughts when that was happening? Um, look, I was slightly confused, <laughs> um, but that's that's a given with Nolan films. And I've only watched a few that um, it got me interested because I wanted to learn what was going to happen. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it definitely piqued my interest and by no means did it like turn me off watching the film. It did the first time. But the second time I just started, I decided to stay through with it and watch it till the end. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we sort of get a bit of an introduction to, um,
2: Leonardo DiCaprio's wife. Obviously we don't know that she's dead at this stage. Mm. Um, but we see her through a bit of memories and I will say, um, a bit of a hot take here, but I feel like this is probably one of Nolan's, um, most emotionally resonant movies, um, I uh, want to get your opinions on that, guys, because a lot of Nolan movies are just like, you know, fast action and crazy things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of, you know, emotional depth to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, Maul's involvement in the story and whether that, you know, whether you guys are actually like emotionally invested in Leonardo DiCaprio's character because of that. Um, uh, what What are your thoughts, Alex? Because you watched this movie. Like, several Yeah. Times.
1: No, definitely this is... One of his more emotional films, of course, the whole central plot is Cobb trying to get back to his kids and everything, mm. trying to stay away from Mal. Is that how you pronounce it? Not Maul. It's not Darth Maul. It's Mal. No, it's Maul. Anyway. Um... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yeah, I think it's definitely one of the main themes of the movie. And that's part of the reason I enjoy it so much. hmm and
0: Jaden, what were your thoughts on that sort of storyline? Um, look, I think any role that Leonardo DiCaprio has, he kind of pours his heart into it. Um, and one scene in particular, are we in spoiler region yet? Can I talk Yeah, about yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the scene where, you know, uh, Mal or mul I don't know which one <laughs> it is, <laughs> tells him to come out onto the uh, the windowsill yes. with her. Yeah. And, and then she obviously falls off. Man, his acting in that moment yeah, was just fantastic. spectacular. And it, it, it made you feel like it was so real. Like a lot of films, um, a lot of the time when they've got like a really emotional um, aspect in it, they just fall short. But this felt kind of real in a way. Um, That's
1: so ironic that you say that about a movie, about reality and dream states. And you said his acting made it so real. And that how ironic Ooh, is that?
0: That is really so weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs>
1: and that's part of the reasons I like this movie so much because it makes you think about your own reality. Oh, that's sick. And we'll get a bit, bit more into that with the totems and everything mm. else down the track. Mm.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely some theories to be had there. So but funny. yeah, no, I agree. When... When his wife jumps off the balcony, I'm just going to refer to him as, uh, refer to her as his wife. Um, (laughs) When, (laughs) when Cobb's wife jumps off the balcony and then we see, um, Cobb's reaction to that, it's really, really good acting. And I Mm. definitely felt something there. I was like, wow, that's actually, you know, so realistic. It it feels real. Um, you're right, Jaden. So yeah, definitely a, a really, really good performance from Leonardo DiCaprio here. Mm. But I mean, no, no surprise there, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so the first job. Um, so obviously Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he's um, along with um, he's not along with Tom Hardy. He's along with Jordan, jo- uh, Jason or Joseph Gordon Levitt's J- character.
0: Yeah,
2: um, they're sort of a duo, and they're, they're running a job, and um, it doesn't go too well, does it? So. They're sort of, I think they're trying to do extraction, is that right, Milsey? Like they're trying to extract an idea from yeah, so they're, um, trying get,
1: they're trying to get're they're, trying they're trying to get some information from Saito <laughs> about his company because they've been contracted by someone you don't really know. But then mm. the architect, which is the person that builds the dreams, that's mm. the person that everyone goes into to try and extract the information um, actually messes up one of the layers. But I think the first time they mess up was part of the plan because they wanted because Saito already knew about Dream Inception and everything. Yeah, that's why Cobb gets attacked because you find out later in the film that people can be trained to like fend off people like Cobb. Mm. So they Mm. they did that first second layer of the dream to get to feel like Saito just woke up and now he's actually in reality but then in that first layer of the dream the architect messed up the rub the rug sorry which yeah. is why you see Saito they're like rubbing it like hang on this isn't mine i'm still mm. in a dream mm. yeah so yeah the first the second layer was meant to be but the first one wasn't
2: mm. and then sort of mission sort of you know once um, Saito realizes that the the mission that they're trying to steal or trying to steal an idea from from him he realizes he's still dreaming and it's sort of just like all downhill from there yeah and um and it sort of works as well for the for the actual plot of the film because they have to get rid of this architect um, and obviously the architect sells them out yeah. um and that that gets rid of their architect, so that now they need a new person which um then later on in the film um, makes them recruit an entirely new person who has no idea what's going on. And one of the, I think one of the, you know, the drawbacks, one of the negatives from quite a few people when then watch this film is that Ellen Page, um, her character, I think her name's like Ariadna or something. Yeah, Ariadna yeah, yeah. Or something. Um, yeah, so one of the negatives is that her character is just a walking exposition machine. So she's walking along saying how does this work, Leonardo DiCaprio? Because, you know, the audience at that stage is asking, how does this all work? Um, And Leonardo DiCaprio is like, hey, well, you're in a dream and you think it's real and how did you get here? And, you know, everything like that. So that's definitely one of the drawbacks. But, I mean, how else are you going to communicate the complexity of this film? It's um, it's quite hard to think of any other ways to, you know, naturally tell everybody.
1: They definitely did that in a a very cool way with uh, you know the street like folding mm. in on itself and all the yeah. trains coming through and some of the yeah. shots
0: in this film were just
2: amazing to look at
1: yeah mm. yeah
2: for sure and i will say the action is really really good as well mm. um like yeah. sort of at the start we get like um leonardo dicaprio running down you know some hallways and you know shooting people with you know like a silenced pistol or something like that um i think yeah. it's right after the mission sort of goes wrong and he sort of like got to escape. And there's like a chase scene. Um, that was awesome. Mm. Um, but did you guys think the same of like the action in this movie and, you know, how it was shot and, and everything like that?
1: Well, I thought um, one of the cool things is, so this is going back to the beginning of the film. You might not notice it, but when Cobb's in the second layer of Saito's dream and he's like got the silence pistol and he's trying to kill everyone to stay silent and he's like assassinating everyone when he shoots the pistol he catches the shell above you might not notice it but he catches oh, the shell, really? so they don't make a noise when they go on the floor oh wow that's and it's just cool. attentions to detail like that that really just sell the whole thing like if you w- watch the movie again now and you saw it you would be like wow that's sick but it's just it's such a small thing that they don't like focus on Still that'd be it.
2: very that'd be very hot, wouldn't it? Like the shell. Well, he's got gloves it? on.
1: He's not just. Oh, okay. He's
2: got yeah, good on him. Um, yeah, and he, he catches he catches people when he shoots him as well. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a. It, it was a very cool scene. It was like watching um Colin Firth in Kingsman. Just like such an awesome actor, just going through and just like murdering people just, yeah. know, It's just I don't know. There's something about it is just good to watch. Um, but but yeah. So Jaden, what are your what are your thoughts on? Leonardo DiCaprio's character in, in, in those, those first few scenes where he's like going through and, you know, mowing down people and, and, and everything like that. It's like, did you think it was, you know, well shot, you know, it was a good, a good performance, etc.
0: Um, yeah, I, I think like you just mentioned, I think the cinematography was just amazing and Nolan delivers on this in each film, um, so yeah, I, d- I do think the action was just top notch and it kind of reminded me of something from a a James Bond film. Um I'm just trying to think of one in particular, probably Quantum of Solace. Uh No, it's not Quantum of Solace. Um it might be Casino Royale where he's chasing that dude down in the construction site and they're like Yeah,
2: it's Casino Royale. That's Casino yeah. Roy-. yeah,
0: it kind of reminded me of that where it's, you know, set in like this hot country and uh, he's trying to chase this dude down, and then they eventually reach the embassy. But um, no, I do think that Nolan um did some terrific action in this film. And another one that another scene that really, um, you know, pointed out to me is just amazing was the scene where they are uh, they're in the taxi, and then they've got like the other car following behind them, um, and then they get ambushed, and like the taxi is just getting like absolutely. Acid. Yeah with with mm-hmm. rounds um I feel like that was shot really well and we also got to keep in mind that it's raining at this time so they have to shoot all of this um and I'm pretty sure it's artificial rain but um they have to shoot all of this in these wet conditions and man that would just be so hard to do but Nolan just somehow has that directorial um mindset to to pull this off in some way and he just does it each time and it's just incredible Mm, for sure yeah
2: definitely in a lot of Nolan films all well I think all stunts that could be reasonably done like in real life are done in real life Mm. um they're all practical um and we see that obviously throughout the entire through all of his movies really I mean Tenet he crashed a bloody plane into a building for god's sake so so he's definitely um he definitely makes sure to try and make those effects as practical as possible. Well,
1: I'm pretty Um, sure he did the the train scene practically as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was actually a train, but it was more like a a truck with a train outside of it, kind of shell out of things. So it's not a full, you know, needing tracks and everything. Um, But they did it like the plane one.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that that was awesome. Um, But yeah, and obviously when a bit later on in the movie when, you know, gravity's going everywhere, I think... Um, a lot of those stunts are actually done practically as well, which is just like amazing. Um, and obviously like you've got to think of, you know, how, how the stunt doubles are, are doing that, you know, walking through hallways that are being rotated, just yeah. incredibly dangerous. Um, you definitely have to make sure you, you knew which way is up constantly. Cause you know, take a step the wrong way and you could like free fall down and hit the ceiling like, it's just, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so to go back to sort of the main plot, obviously, you know, the mission's gone wrong, um, and Leonardo DiCaprio sort of offered this ultimatum, you know, do this, do Inception and, um, and I'll let you see your kids you know, I'll let you go back and, and be with your kids. And, you know, obviously I think he's, he's been framed for murder at this stage by his own wife, but we don't know that yet.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: so, and we also don't know, he says, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he says, I've done Inception before, it's possible. And we don't know when he did that or, or what it was about or anything like that until later on in the film as well. So definitely a lot of you know unknowns at this stage. Like we literally don't know anything. Um,
1: well, that's a, that's had- a major thing that Nolan likes to do is he sets up, it's like a Chekhov's gun. He sets up something in the start that it pays off in the end, like in Tenet with the orange string on the guy's backpack or here with he's done Inception before when later on you you find out why.
2: Mm, Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, (laughs) I want to say, what what did you guys think of the recruitment process for Ellen Page's character? Um, So draw a good maze with circles and um, seems like, Leo will hire you on a top secret spy mission in which you'll be paid millions of dollars. Um, so I think you know, pretty, pretty goofy, maybe. Uh, what are your thoughts? Just like draw a good maze and you can go inside each other's dreams.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I think this is one of the things that plays into my major theory of the film. Which is, do you want me to get into that now? Yeah, like yeah, do it. Build into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, So This this would have to make me talk about the ending, but I think the film is still Cobb's dream. Okay. And like the entire film, the entire film is still Cobb's dream, and there's multiple reasons for that. But yeah, you you see in every film, and every sorry, in every scene that there's something always relating to Cobb, even when he's not physically in the dream. Mm -hmm. Like say. Um Ariadne and Joseph Gordon Lewitt's character. Can't remember what his name was. Arthur, that's right. Yeah. Like when they're doing that scene where you know how the spiraling staircase and it's like the weird Hmm. arrangement thing. Yeah. They still talk about Cobb. They somehow find a way to get to Cobb. And I think that's all because they're all projections of his subconscious kind of thing. But that we'll build more into that when we go on. But yeah, I think that's why it's so easy for Ariadne to be to come into the team is because he wants her to be there in subconsciously. Um,
0: that's crazy. That's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. And-
1: Ariadne's name in Greek mythology is related with ma- uh, labyrinths and mazes as well. Fun fact. Ooh. Oh,
2: yeah. Oh, she was destined. Um, destined. No, that's, that's really interesting. Also, um, on that thought, you know, when Cobb's like, um, she'll be back and then she comes back. It's like she can, he can, you know, Predict, yeah. you know, when she, when she finds out about the dreams and she's like, "Oh no, I'm not doing this. This is crazy." Cubs like, "Ah, oh, she'll be back."
1: Yeah, and yeah, back mm.
2: almost immediately. Um, it's um, yeah, no, that's a really interesting theory, and I love Nolan movies. Um, when there's sort of you know that ambiguity and that in- interpretation to it. Yeah, um, there
1: can I be think- multiple interpretations of the same thing.
2: Mm, yeah, I think in our in our second episode, Jaden, when we we're talking about Joker, mm-hmm. and obviously in that film, some of the, um, some plot points, you know, sort of open to interpretation. I referenced the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you can remember, and, and I said, like, it was the most ambiguous sort of ending like in movie history mm. and you were like, Oh, we've got to see it. And there we have it, you know, you've seen it now. So, um, no, I'm very interested to talk about that ending. Um, but we'll just, we'll, we'll keep mowing through it now. So, um, <laughs> Um, so obviously creating the dream scene, you know, when Leonardo DiCaprio is, is teaching Ellen Page how to, you know, create yeah. dreams, that's, that's just iconic, isn't it? Um, so yeah. what, what are your thoughts guys on, you
0: know, the visuals and, and the music and, and everything like that? You go, Jen. Um, yeah. I feel like I, I just want to touch on the music and I feel like um, Alex, you also have a lot of love for the, the scoring in this film.
1: Oh, I I just don't know. I just want to
0: like run straight to the end and talk about Hans Zimmer time. And obviously, oh. you introduced me to this um, amazing piece of music, Millsy, um, Alex. Yeah. Sorry, um, and God, it's just so heart wrenching and emotional. And at the end, you know, when it kicks in, like I I got goosebumps actually yeah, because yeah. the the theme is just so incredible. And um and I'm I'm doing a video on how the the music and baby driver can complement a movie. And I feel like at the same time, inception just does it so well, um, as well. Um, the, the, the music in a way just makes this movie and it just ties it all together. Um, and along with the visuals, um, like you asked Sam, I think the visuals in this film are just incredible as well. And I also picked up on the, the scene where, um, where we have a, a hallway scene and, Nolan somehow with his big brain, um, invented this machine where he could turn the whole hallway yeah.
1: and the actors mm. like
0: spun around and God, that's just,
1: Oh, with the zero gravity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You don't even like think about that, right? Like who thinks about creating something like that? Nolan. Yeah, Um, I still don't know how he made the zero gravity. I do know how he made it turn, but I, I don't know how he made it zero gravity. And they're all like, floating through there, like, in the International um, Space Station somehow. Mm. I just don't know yeah. how we did that in 2010. Like, it's just mind-warming mm. stuff. Yeah. Well, I think maybe... I know sometimes
2: they use, like, actual zero-gravity machines. Um, I wouldn't put it past Nolan to use one of those, but I imagine that would have been extremely expensive. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I know you guys hate it, but um, the, that rotation sort of stunt is actually used in the amazing spider-man 2 um, Don't even. But, um so when when peter's trying to take his suit off and he goes onto the roof and the the room sort of rotates um so it's definitely been you know used in in, in other sort of movies so you've got to appreciate that like um, less good less movies. good movies we got to keep that. in
0: mind that that film did come after inception so uh,
2: yeah no i'm yeah. saying i'm yeah, saying it yeah. had like an effect on the movie industry as a whole yeah like, You know those sort of stunts that Nolan sort of pioneers um, uh, are used in, you know, in in other movies. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's all, yeah. That's all I am trying to say. Um, So, yeah, um, I will say, yeah. Obviously, the music in this film is is brilliant. Hans Zimmer, um, he's a wizard. I think you said, Jaden. Yeah, Um, I did. I I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just every every time Hans Zimmer is involved with um, with a Nolan movie, in particular. Um, It just creates absolute art. And you really see in this film, especially towards the end, how music can sort of, you know, uplift and, or maybe, you know. um, Change the scene.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Provide provide that emotional depth to a scene um, to really, you know, give you that that feeling that you get towards the end, um, which is really great. Um, But yeah, I want to note that, yeah, so obviously all the action scenes in this film are incredible. Um, and when Leo's running away from the police, um, I really like when he goes into the um the, into the cafe and he's um he tries to sit down at a seat and um the manager's just not having it. He's not letting it. Like, the sit manager's down. Just like, You cannot sit there, you cannot sit there and, and he just keeps on being like, One cafe, one cafe. Yeah, one <laughs> cafe. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like, What on earth are you saying? He's like one cafe.
1: <laughs> and that's and that also ties into my theory because his subconscious is constantly trying to get him to keep moving forward to his kids that no one wants him to stay where he is. Ooh. That's why someone's always got him. He's always moving in every scene. You can never stay in one place. And that's why he's like going out of the cafe for no reason. Like he's just a regular customer, but for some reason he wants out.
2: Mm, that's crazy. Nah, this is an awesome theory. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. One cafe, one cafe. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, and I will say as well, um, the definition of a real gentleman is saying, excuse me, as you move around your own subconscious. Um, (laughs) That's what Arthur says. He's like moving around people who are just, you know, projections of his mind. And he's like, oh, excuse me. Um, Got to remember your manners, even when you're dealing with projections of your own brain. Um,
1: Do maketh the man. Yes.
2: We know that good callback. (laughs) Um, So the old men. Let's talk about them for a second. Um, so, we go into when we're sort of, you know, preparing for this final heist and, and be prepared to jump in wherever, guys, and add things that I've, you know, missed or, or jumped over or anything like that. But um, when they're sort of, you know, preparing for the big heist, which is probably like 30, 40 minutes into the film, mm-hmm. um, we get this um, scene where we see like all these really old men who are all in the basement of. Yeah. 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 Who is saying, you know, that their dreams have now become their reality and they are just like all lying down, you know, into, you know, this sort of entering this dream space because they don't want to leave in the real world anymore. Um, which is pretty like an interesting, like philosophical concept. Mm. Um, and so what, what did you guys think about? Do you think that's like, do you think that's a problem? Or do you think like these old men should like wake up to what's actually going on? And you know how does well, that?
1: Well, that's this is something I touched on in because I've done an, an essay for mm-hmm. this exact film. So this is one of the things I touched on is their reality is what they make. So them wanting to be in the dream state constantly, they're in there for years, months, days. It doesn't matter to them. But when they come back to everyone else's reality, they feel out of touch. They feel they don't want to be there. Mm. And that's why people are constantly trying to create their own reality of things, but it doesn't matter like, um, what other people want, want, to, want you to happen. It's just what they want to have. And that's why they're always lying there, always in a dream in uh, quotation marks state.
0: Mm. And that's quite an interesting point. And we've seen this in, um, in film quite a lot as well. And I'm just going to pick up on a few here. I think Avatar also kind of touched on the uh, um, the idea of escaping from reality and making your mm. own sort of uh, perfect world in a way. Um, and that is Avatar by Cameron... Uh, James Cameron. James Cameron, not the Avatar The Last Airbender, um, which I think is quite similar to Inception. I found kind of um, a relation there. And then again... Um, also, Ready Player One, which released in mm. 2018, where everyone is obsessed with virtual reality and they want to escape from uh, what's going on in the real world to the sort of artificial world. I think there's also a tie there in a way where um, people just begin to hate what, what the world has given to them, what what naturally yeah. is their world, and then they want to you know, make their own sort of um, best version of what they can be living in.
2: Mm. You know, it's a very interesting, like philosophical concept, and I was going to bring up Ready Player One. So, oh, you were um, okay, yeah, because because it, it is very similar. Yeah, with you know, when does this dream world become one's reality? Mm. You know, if we spend too much time in like escapism, then is our escapism our reality? Like, mm. it's pretty. And pretty that's like, exactly realistic.
1: what happened to to Mal in the end. Mm or, well, at the start, technically, is, you know, they were in limbo for, what, 50, 60 years. Oh, yeah. And mm, that's, that's the reason yeah. b- that she, you know, this is, happens later in the film, but the reason they wanted she wanted to kill herself is because she thought she was still dreaming and she wanted to get back to her kids.
0: That's interesting. Mm, yeah. yeah. And then, obviously, there's the, the Inception
2: at play there as well.
1: Yeah, but that's talks for the the later on the movie.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, that, I really like that. I also, you know, touching on Leonardo DiCaprio's wife, um, she, um, she creates a, you know, a bit of an extra tension and an added sort of complication to the film as well, because when all of these dreams happen, you know, that she's going to pop up at some stage. And so it sort of adds like a, you know, an element of, um, yeah, well, just like tension, and, you know, an extra complication because we know that not everything's going to go to plan and we know it's only just a matter of time before this projection of Cobb's subconscious is going to come in and try and ruin everything. Mm. Um, so I think she's really integral to like the action scenes and the dream scenes because we know that, you know, it's like having a villain lurking around like... And I think know, that's, gonna... that's
1: interesting that you bring that up because... Um... Can you recount one time that any of the other characters' subconsciousness affects the scene? No, none. None. So what Cobb's subconscious is always in other people's dreams, in quotation marks. So that again backs up the theory of it's all still Cobb's dream because no one else affects the dream but him
0: that's interesting. And I, that's, I think, yeah, sorry, Jaden.
2: I think that's the best point that you have to that theory, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. What did
0: you think, Jen? Um, that's interesting because um, correct me if I pronounce her name wrong, but Ariadne, she at one point in the film brings up the fact that um, Cobb's son subconscious of um, manifesting his wife into other people's um, realities it's going to eventually be found out by them, and it's going to mess up their eventual plan. So, yeah. um, we do learn that um Cobb's uh, subconscious of his wife can have significant impact. So that that's I can I'm I'm kind of down with your theory now, Alex. Of mm. how it's all kind of set in Cobb's um Cobb's yeah. uh, dream. That's actually really interesting. I never thought of that after um, finishing the film. I just kind of considered, you know, um, is he still in a dream state? I never thought of the whole film being in his dream, but no, that's quite an interesting thing.
1: And that's a good thing to um, jump into the totems of the film Mm -hmm. because it's around the time where this is exposed onto us, if you want to say, expositioned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the totems are... Something that um, every every person needs to differentiate between reality and dream sequences. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, Arthur's is a way to die that only he knows the weight of. Um, Tom Hardy's character, forget his name, is poker chips. Eames. Eames, that's right. He's got poker chips. You know, Ariane builds herself a bishop that plays differently. But Cobb's is a spinning it- top.
2: Yeah, and it's his wife, isn't it?
1: Yeah. It's his I thought wife's. you were
2: supposed to create it your own.
1: And that's what um, Arthur says to Ariadne, that no one else can know what the difference is. No one else can know why it's different. Mm. Yeah, Cobb's totem is someone else's. And his totem is different to everyone else's because it's real in the real world and you know, fake in the dream world, but his spinning top keeps spinning in the in the dream world and topples over in the real one. Yeah. But wouldn't it be the other way around? Oh, no, actually, no, so that doesn't make sense. Because, yeah, the laws of physics te- to tell it to top o- topple over. Yeah. I forget I said that. But, um, yeah, how can someone else know of their totem when you're supposed to be yours?
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. I, n- I never thought about that. I always just assumed. I, I guess I didn't pick up on I just assumed that it was his totem. But now that I know that it is his wife's, that's, that's quite a... That's just kind of changed the game in a way. Yeah. Um, there's so many little things that Nolan does that just makes you question his films. And I, that's what I just love about them. It's kind of... Uh, in a way, it's creating your own sort of interpretation of what happened in the film and there's been so many you know iterations of theories and and such that the film can just be interpreted in you know multiple different ways yeah um and it's kind of like quentin tarantino films in a way you're either going to love the film or you're going to hate the film Mm because you don't understand it and um and I, i do think it's kind of a risky sort of risky game to play in filmmaking but again, you know, it's, it's unique and not a lot of people are doing what Christopher Nolan's doing. And I think that's why so many of his films just get incredible reviews from, you know, these critics because it's different. It's just not rehashed generic superhero films. Yeah. He's, he's doing different stuff, which just makes you question what happened in the film.
1: I find it interesting that you compare it to Quentin Tarantino though. I think, Tarantino is a lot more eccentric mm-hmm. with his films. There's a lot more you'd say out there, Yeah, you know, to the average person, but Nolan is more, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say normalized, but like, it's not, you know, it's taken once upon a time mm-hmm. in Hollywood. That movie was so weird Yeah, with what it says, but you know, Nolan doesn't do like super weird stuff like that. No, but they're no. still, yeah. you know, very similar in their ways of filmmaking.
0: I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Quentin Tarantino, even more so than uh, Christopher Nolan, you're either going to love or hate his films. And I did not enjoy Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just found it so confusing. Um, so boring. And so boring, yeah. But again, like I've, I've heard people that just absolutely love that film and they'd give it a 10 out of 10 rating. But yeah, going back to Nolan, um, his films just have a unique premise. Um, and I think that's either going to establish whether you – love or hate the film because some people just want to watch a film and just kind of just sit there and, like, take it all in. And like you said, Sam, mm-hmm. they just want to sit in the seat and kind of just, you know, blob out and just kind of watch the film, not kind of think about the film.
2: Yeah. 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 And we saw this with Tenet. Um, uh, the reviews for that, so, like, 50-50 split. Mm. There was, like, probably, like, half of the critics saying, this is a bad movie because I couldn't understand it. It's so complicated because it's bad and um, I should be able to understand it and because I don't, it's a bad movie. Yeah. And then there was like the other half who were saying, this is such a complex and interesting concept and, you know, maybe you don't fully understand it on the first time, but that's the beauty of it. And, you know, there's like so many people who just feel like they deserve to know what's going on in a film and they don't, you know, they feel like when a director asks them to use their brain, yeah,
1: that that's
2: not their job. You know, their jobs just sit there and have a, you know, narrative, a very simple narrative, just like you know, baby fed to you. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that's the job a lot of different directors have to undergo. Is do, do they want their films to be spoon feeding the audience, which is something that you know, like MCU movies would do. Like if yeah. you watch Captain America. Winter Soldier you wouldn't say well wow, that's a really complex and interesting movie like no it's yeah. just a guy with a shield beating up a guy with a metal arm Yeah. but yeah um, movies like Inception Chris Van Allen really wants the, um, be, the audience to think about and think through what's happening in the movie mm. so it's definitely something that directors have to toss up when they do make movies is what audience do they want to be making it for and some critics don't know that and they just think that all movies are for all people and that's how they rev- how they review it yeah which is so bad
0: yeah
2: yeah for sure um also to add to the um the mcu argument there most mcu movies well in fact every single mcu movie has um what like film you know i guess film scholars or whatever call a three act structure um so like you have the first second and third act of a film versus beginning middle and end right yeah. so and in this film, um, you know, we sort of have like the start is you know the mission going wrong and you know establishing Cobb's character and such, and then the second is sort of you know preparing for the the dream heist, and then the third is the actual dream heist. Yeah. Whereas that dream heist actually starts at about like halfway through the film, maybe even like further, like maybe even earlier on. Yeah. Um, which I think is just. It it just shows that Nolan was just, he wasn't messing around with this. He knew that he needed a lot of time to really, you know, direct this insane heist Mm. that they couldn't save it to like the last half an hour of the film, Yeah, Um, which just shows that, you know, he's, he's thinking differently. But did, did you guys feel like that third, you know, that final heist went on maybe too long or did you get like bored at any stage?
1: And um, I do think that's yeah. one of the, the major drawbacks. Well, not major, but one of one of the things I don't enjoy about the film is the pacing. Mm-hmm. Like it is a, it's the same thing with Tenet as well. Everything is you get one scene, nothing else happens from that, and then you move on. Yeah, and that happens constantly over and over and over. And yeah, the main heist was really cool. It was such an epic sequence. But yeah, it was a bit long. It was, as you said, over half the film. Yeah. Like they could have done more building other things, but I still enjoy, still enjoy it very much. Mm, for sure.
2: I, I, I get a bit bored when the snow part comes on, like, you know, the. Yeah, the. Mountains in the snow. Yeah, yeah. And. I mean, it's an awesome, you know, scene and obviously, you know, the the avalanche that comes down is awesome and, and and everything like that. But I don't know. I just always get, like, I remember watching the first time I was like, oh, I'm a bit bored here. Like, you know, so maybe, maybe that is a bit of a pacing issue, I imagine. But what, what are your thoughts, Jaden? Because obviously you watched this the first time. So did, did you feel like at any stage in the film, you were like getting a bit bored and like what sort of stages were that?
0: Um, uh, yeah, I, again, I do think that the, um, the whole mountain range scene where they're in the um, snowy area, it was kind of a bit drawn out. And I actually saw this comment somewhere. I can't remember where I saw it. It might have been on YouTube. But in in the film, in, in film time, not in how long the film is actually going to run for, but in the inception time, um, when the when the van actually falls off the bridge, do you guys know how long it took for the van to hit the bridge, um, to hit the water in the, in the, um, in the furthest stream dream stage, which would be, uh, One
1: stage before limbo.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, I think it's like
0: an
2: hour of the movie time or something ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Like when, when I heard that comment, I was just like, really? And it kind of just blew my mind in a way. um, mm. I was like, "Oh my god, that's really how long it took." Um, I just couldn't believe that. That kind of shocked me. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, no, it did shock me too, to be honest. Because I, I, saw that. I don't know where I saw that, but I saw that comment as well, and I was like, "Really?" Like, because because when something like that happens and we get sort of like a slow mo shot, mm. like we expect the shot to be over in the next like twenty minutes. Yeah. Um, but like, it really just creates tension the entire film. Yeah. And yeah. And we see like at the end, the truck falls into the water and then we don't actually see whether Leonardo DiCaprio's character actually gets out of the truck or not. Mm. Um, We just see, you know, a couple scenes later on, um, which is is interesting. Maybe we touch on that with your, with your theory towards the end, Alex. But um, I want to ask you guys when that dream heist does start, one of the characters needs to pee. And so (laughs) he goes and pees. And I was wondering what you guys think actually happens in that scene. Like, if you pee in a dream, do you pee in real life? Like, what, what's the go there? Like, this guy has entered the dream state, realized he needs to go and pee. Who are we talking and about? So, this it's is like, the, the like, alchemist
1: like, guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. The alchemist guy. The one that, you yeah. know,
1: do you remember the scene where the old guys are sleeping and the guy's are like, oh, oh yeah. Reality now? That yeah. guy. Yeah. Because they're the dream, Um, he's sorry, he's the dreamer that they go into and he needs to pee in real life. Mm-hmm. That's why it starts raining. Oh, <laughs> but I think it's just like as things you know. As you as you're younger, you know, you see a toilet in a dream. You go start peeing. You know, you're pissing in your real bed. Yeah. But you know, as you get older, you see you start peeing, and then you wake up before you actually yeah. go. Yeah. So I think I think it's you know, him actually just pissing himself. <laughs> That's funny. Probably.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, I just remember being like, "Oh, what happens there? Um, <laughs> interesting." Um And I will say, Tom Hardy is just absolutely hilarious in this movie Mm, he's yeah obviously he is british so but he's obviously upping the ante on his britishness and he says when he gets when he gets into the cab and with killian murphy's character and he's saying oh i'm sorry i thought it was free (laughs) and and then then (laughs) killian murphy's character is like excuse me no please get out and he's like oh maybe we can share and it's just it's just yeah. like how he delivers that line and it's just it's just really funny. And I think Tom Hardy's character is really amusing the whole way through. Yeah. it is and, one of the
1: comedic reliefs in there, yeah. Yeah,
2: for sure. And you really need that because it's a very serious movie like all Christopher Nolan movies. And, yeah. you know, if this was a Star Wars movie, Tom Hardy would be like a sarcastic droid and it wouldn't work. Whereas here, you know, there's a bit of, you know, there's more complexity to his humour and, you know, his yeah. personality. Yeah.
0: And um, um, so that was movie really cool. I just wanted to point out. I think there was one point in the movie where, um, there the guy who's actually driving the van. I can't remember his name, but um, when he like falls off the bridge, the first bridge, not the bridge where it goes into the water, and mm-hmm. he's he like lands perfectly, and then he turns oh, around no, and he's no, like, right. <laughs> and he's like, "Did you guys see that?" And then like everyone's <laughs> I the asleep. <laughs> I, I kind of thought to myself, I was like. Damn, uh, Nolan's putting jokes in his films now. That, that's an improvement for the guy. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: you, you yeah. don't
0: see that a lot of the time in Nolan's films because he's so serious with what he does. Mm. I mean, he likes to just stick to the cutthroat storyline. But no, I do think that you know, chucking in these comedic release was quite a good, um, quite a good way to go. And that in no way um, kind of detracts from the actor's performances because I do think in a way that um, Tom Hardy's performance in this was probably one of the best performances in the film. Um and you can hate on me all you want there if he's just comedic relief, but um Tom Hardy he's just so versatile as an actor and we've we've seen in a, we've seen him in um The Dark Knight when he plays Bane. Um just looking at the change, he's so different in the two films, like you wouldn't even think it's the same guy. Um and then also Wait, he,
1: Bane is Tom Hardy? Yeah, see so you didn't know that,
0: yeah. Um it's kind of mind blowing in a way. And he also played uh Venom. Um So all of his roles are just so different and it looks like the same guy. Obviously, Bane doesn't look like the same guy, but, you know, Venom and and Inception look like the same actor, but they're like two completely different personalities and Tom Hardy is just such an amazing actor. And I do think that, you know, him pulling off this sort of cocky English funny dude, he just portrayed it so well in this film.
1: I will hate on you for saying that's one of the best performances, but okay. he, it is a good performance nonetheless. Mm. I do think all the performances awesome.
0: in this film were just amazing. Yeah, it's kind of stood out to me. Yeah. Well, on that, I
2: was pushed back, and I say um, Marion Cotillard, so um, Mal or more, whatever you want to call her, mm-hmm. Darth Darth Marion Cotillard. <laughs> Her performance in this film, I really don't like. And I really don't think I like her as an actor at all because I don't like her in The Dark Knight Rises either. Okay. Um, I can agree with I you think, there.
1: I don't like her in Dark think, Knight
2: Rises either. Yeah, I think she's the worst performance in The Dark Knight Rises and I think she's the worst performance in this as well. Mm-hmm. And I, had, I I, did some thinking about this because I thought, you know, maybe, maybe you guys would, you know, push back on this or anything. But I think her as an actor or an actress, um, she's got this very sort of like... Almost like psychotic look about like she she's just like born to play um a character that's, you know, a bit left of center, like it's just a bit a bit weird and a bit like not really like relatable in a sense. Like do do you guys feel that at all? Like, do I do that- when
1: especially when she's staring at another character, her yeah. facial expressions are just like <laughs> I don't know. It's I, I can see where you come from, yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, and it's not like, you know, a personal dig at her because obviously, like, this is the roles that she's doing, but she has, like, a very menacing look about her. Yeah. And for me, um, her performance throughout the entire film, she's never at one stage very compassionate and, and normal. Um, she So I feel like I found it really hard to, like, relate to her and, like, really feel for her and want her to realise that she's not in reality and she needs – or maybe, you know – want her to realize that she is in reality and accept the fact that she's not dreaming anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she always just like throughout the entire film, it's just like a really psychotic and insane individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just like, so that just doesn't work for me. And I was thinking, you know, who else could, could play her. And I was thinking maybe someone like Amy Adams. So, um, you know, Lois Lane. Yeah. Um, I feel like just someone with a bit more of an, a nice face. I mean, it's not to be mean to the, <laughs> the current actress <laughs> yes. because and I don't know if you guys know of, of the actor um who plays Coco in, in Blade Runner. Um if you guys like just quickly look that up now, you'll know Honestly. who I'm talking about. Wait, what's her name? Um, it's Arm- um, um Coco in Blade Runner um is played. Just look that up. It's played by David Oh God, Milsey, you're gonna butcher me on this. Dust Malchian or something like that. Um I wouldn't know how to but,
1: Yeah, I wouldn't know how to pronounce that one.
2: Yeah, um, but if you guys look that up, you'll see who I'm talking about he is very similar in the sense that he's always playing like a really, um, psychotic character yeah. and like, you know, very like weird and just uncomfortable character. And I feel like as, as this, um, as more or Mal as a character, you want to sympathize with her because she's the heart of the story in a way. And I feel like you just need a, a you know, a nicer, No, 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 nicer face. You said you
1: didn't want to take a personal dig at her, but this whole rant was about three minutes long digging at her. So
0: I just wanted to point up on it because I do think that sometimes people get um, a bit confused when it comes to whether it was bad acting or whether the acting was so good that it made you hate the character. And obviously, um the wife Mel or Mole or whatever her name is, um she is a psychotic uh, character in this film, and she did yeah. frame, um, she did frame Cobb. So I do think, in a way, that her character was meant to be this sort of psychotic, uh, grungy person that no one likes.
1: And that's what um, I was going to say as well. And
0: yeah. and that, in a way, made me like the character. Um, it kind of added towards the performance. Um, and. And I do think, Sam, I'm going to hate on you here, man. I do think that hating an actor based on their facial expressions is a bit biased um, because obviously they can't change that. But I I think she pulled off her performance spectacularly. And, and, you know, she wasn't one of my favorites in the film. But I think that also added to the fact that she had less screen time than the other actors, but she still did an amazing job.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm, You see, for me this sort of character I feel like
2: you need to be invested in her as a as a as a loving mother first Um, I feel like we we start her story um, and she's always just like this out of touch Um, and look I think her performance like the act the actress's performance in the film is probably exactly what she was meant to do yeah so it's not her fault (laughs) and obviously like her demeanor she plays a very similar similar role in the dark knight rises so obviously this demeanor that she can bring is obviously she's an extremely talented actor and that's what she's good at, you know? Um, so not necessarily like something that's wrong with her, but I think it's wrong with the casting of that character. I feel like that character should have been cast in with a bit more emotional depth and sort of like a transition of emotions. Like show us um, a scene where the character is a loving mother and everything's okay.
0: And she's, she's got her grip on reality. Yeah. And then we can sort of like, see there again, that's not her acting. That's the writing. She Uh, was talking about, yeah.
2: So I'm talking about the casting. So the casting and the writing, sure. So it's not necessarily the actors, not the actress's fault. Um, But as like a viewer, the thing that I see wrong with the movie is the actress, you know, Do you
1: feel me? Like, yeah, I understand where you're coming from, but I've got to say that is what a character is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a detached Mm. person from reality. Like she's not supposed to be loving and caring. She's supposed to be wanting to get back to her own reality. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm. why she doesn't even care about her kids. She just wants to go back to the kids she's made up in her head. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, she's always kind of unhinged in all the scenes because she's lost her grip her sanity on reality and I think that's exactly what the character was supposed to be going for so yeah I'll have to completely disagree with yeah. you I'm, I'm kind of I'm here.
0: kind of standing with Milzy here and again like I understand what you mean Sam when you say that it would have been good to get a scene where she is uh, portrayed as you know this loving mother but that comes down to the writing that's that's not particularly the the actors fault because she can't just you know manifest the scene out of nowhere um, she basically she can make her performance as good as the writing allows her to be yeah yeah, mm. yeah no, for sure I, I agree with your points there
2: boys but yeah I'll have to stay stay in my lane yeah, um, but I I think you know obviously we don't have to agree with everything all the time but I think for me Cobb's backstory is a highlight of the film for me and I think it's bloody fantastic like how his character is written with respect to his wife and I feel like the only drawback in, sort of like in the entire film for me is 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 the wife because I just feel so disconnected to her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, when, when she does kill herself, I feel like that could have been so, like, I feel like in, in that scene when watching that, I don't feel anything for that character herself. I only really? feel for Cobb mm. because I'm like, you know, there's something wrong with this woman. And obviously, you know, I feel like, you know, this is tragic. You know, she's not she's not there, but the fact that she's, you know, she's, she, I've never seen her actually there like present. Um, I feel like, you know, for me at least, um, takes away a bit from, from what I feel for her because she's like the villain of this story in my opinion. Like she's, she comes up to wreck things and she's you know, psychotic and insane. Um, so I, yeah, I I would have liked to, you know, a bit more backstory. Yeah. And so I think that is probably a problem with, with the writing. Yes. And I feel like this actress did exactly what she was told to do. And it was, you know, it's a, it's like saying, it's like blaming Adam, best, Adam, um, best for Jar Jar Binks. It's like, it's not the actor's fault. Yeah. It's the writing. So, yeah, so yeah. So I agree with you guys. Um, I feel like, you know, my real problem there is the writing.
1: Um, no, but if I could do anything,
2: I'd switch the, switch the actress. If I could keep everything the same and just quickly switch the actress without any harm done to the rest of the film. I would switch the actress.
1: But yeah, I was going to say, I think it's interesting that you bring up that you didn't feel anything for Mel in that moment with the two buildings them across from each other's. because there's a good time to get into it. But you find out later in the film that Cobb incepted the thought of she's not in Mm. her own reality Mm. into Mel. Like before that point, she was obviously content with staying in limbo but the thought of wanting to get back to reality stuck in her mind forever. And that's why she wanted to go to convince Cobb to leave. And I feel like that's why her story is so tragic is because mm. she was manipulated into believing that she's always dreaming mm. by Cobb.
2: Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's like that's the one thing that is like in terms of her character in that scene. It is tragic once you realize that, Cobb's like interfered with her mind, you know, he's, he's manipulated her. And, but for me, I feel like, you know, a different actress might've done a better job, but, but that, that's, that's what I'll say. Um, And obviously I'm happy to disagree, but you know, we don't have to agree on everything all the time, but, but that for me is, is the one drawback of the entire film because otherwise I think, you know, I was really grasping with what am I going to rate? Am I going to give this film the best rating? Um, So, so yeah, but Shall we move on then? A um, bit of a touchy subject, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, so let's go towards the end. Um, obviously, we have the hallway fight scene. Um, obviously, the music is, is sensational, mm-hmm. um, and I will say again, um, some people say that it's hard to hear the dialogue in this film. Yeah. Um, what did you guys
0: think about that? Um, I Are you reaching for subtitles at all? Um, I yeah. So I watched this film on YouTube and i within the first five minutes i had it on full volume because i couldn't hear it um and i then i was also reaching for the subtitles and uh in particular that film didn't have subtitles so i had to watch the whole film through on um the highest possible audio that i could and then it scenes, you know where there's massive explosions i had to turn it down so yeah um that's probably one of the um, drawbacks from this film. And Christopher Nolan does it time and time again. I also saw it in Tenet where his sound mixing is just a bit off. And I've and I've seen reviews of this film that just say the sound mixing is just incredible. But I, I got to disagree with that because at times, you know, I, I couldn't hear the dialogue and I, you know, the audio was so loud and you shouldn't have to watch a film like that on, you know, full volume. Yeah.
1: I think I'm a bit biased on that subject because I do like watching things with subtitles anyway. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, That's I don't think that's a just inception problem. That's, yeah, as you said, Jaden, It's a whole Nolan Yeah, thing.
0: Nolan likes to do it for some reason. And I don't understand why when people yeah. say that they the, the sound mixing is just incredible because it, in reality it's not. And I don't even see how you could argue with that because if you have to watch a, a film on full volume and you still can't hear it, then something is definitely wrong
2: there. It's really interesting that you bring that up, Jaden, because um guess two of the Oscars that this film won, um, sound Academy Academy and sound mixing, best probably. achievement, best achievement in sound mixing yeah. and best achievement in sound editing. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so, you know, take that for, for what you will about the integrity of the Academy Awards. Yeah. But um, I think I watched this film and I always sort of like to watch films with the headphones on mm-hmm. and, um when i i think when you wear headphones you can hear everything i had my headphones dialogue yeah oh okay interesting uh well because i personally didn't have trouble at all um hearing the dialogue but but you know maybe that's because it's the second time i've watched the film yeah um so maybe you know i'm I'm not hearing certain things but i know it know it anyway so Hmm. yeah i i definitely agree with with you guys when saying that nolan has you know always had a bit of a problem with his sound mixing, um, but the Academy Awards though—that's so one is thing
0: that. I'll never understand—is why people give Academy Academy Awards for that. Like, it, it's clear that the sound mixing just isn't the best. Like, The Hangover has better sound mixing than this film, and that's a terrible <laughs> film. Like, I just don't understand why they would give an award for that when it's clearly the opposite. Like, you can't even you can't even argue like a, a like a biased. Like, point of view on that, it's just clear that mm. the sound mixing is bad.
1: So, yeah. you a bunch of Oscar people would uh disagree with you, there. yeah. That
0: I i don't <laughs> understand, like, I that's blowing my mind more than inception in <laughs> my mind, yeah. Yeah, I don't get that,
2: yeah. No, they definitely you know hit or miss sometimes. Um, but I think the Oscar's work is like it's like a combination of like a ton of different critics, so. Mm. You know, it's crazy. I mean, maybe the music has something to do with that. I don't think it actually won the Oscar for best, like, original score. Oh, God. Um, Maybe they were sort of... That's maybe a maybe Yeah, um, but maybe they were sort of making up for it with the sound mixing and sound editing. Yeah. Because yeah, the Academy Awards work like that. You know, we see sympathy Oscars and, you know, everything like that. You know, for, for Leonardo DiCaprio, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we've already touched on that. So um, so let's move sort of towards the end again. Maybe, Millsy, you want to chime in with a bit more of your... The theory that that you um, refrained from talking about in in the earlier part of the episode.
1: Um. Yeah. With the ending of the of the movie.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know if you guys have anything else to add before we sort of you know delve into all
0: of the theories yeah. that come from the very end of this film. I'll I'll jump in and add something real quick. Um, just a few things. I'm just gonna like, just like. Fly, fly in yeah, just it. Um, so I think at one point. Um, we had a dream inside a dream inside a dream. Um, and I think that's the furthest that we got in terms of dreams, which obviously mm. enters the limbo state. And <laughs> at times it felt like I was trying to figure out where I was, like what yeah. dream am I in? Like at no point did that like detract from my overall uh, review of the film because Christopher Nolan films are meant to be confusing. So I, I enjoyed it. Like I was trying to figure it out. Um, I just thought that was kind of funny how we have a dream inside a dream inside a dream. Um I also wanted to touch on the, the van falling scene when it was falling off the bridge. Um I think that was just constructed brilliantly when they were all kind of brought back to uh reality when they like were flying mm-hmm. through the different stages of the drill. Yeah. I think that was yeah. done quite well. Um
1: I'll just touch on that one real quick. Yeah, yeah, I, on. I do like how so you notice in you touch on the hallway scene before how the guy was in zero gravity. Mm-hmm but that was because the van was falling through the air. Yeah. Like uh, I love how Nolan interwove the different, you know, dream states. Yeah. And you didn't realize, you know, what, why they're in a, well, not why, but like how they're in a dream and everything and mm. why they're spinning around the hallway because this van is spinning and falling.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing that uh, I like about Christopher Nolan is that I can't really pick up any plot holes in his films from memory. Like, it's like he's just covered every single ground and thought of every single thing. Cause he's been making these films for, you know, over 10 years, um, like uh, one film in over 10 years, he makes the idea of the film and then he writes it and he, and, and then he puts the film together. And I think some of his films, like he said in interviews, he makes one film in the span of 10 years, which you, you don't see that, you know, films typically get made in a two year timeline. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's kind of like his films are his baby and he just kind of thinks of every possible error and then just flushes them all out like it all the plot holes. I couldn't even find one in this film even though it's so confusing. Like you, you think you would find one but you, you don't. You just don't find the plot holes. Yeah. Mm. He definitely covers all bases, that's for sure. Um,
2: so any, anything else that you want to add, Jaden, about yeah. about you know, those final moments. Yeah, I just
0: wanted to throw out a question here um so typically um christopher nolan has a villain in his films right um you know right. we see the joker in the dark knight and we see uh uh sator or sator or sator in in tenet um and in this film the whole span of the film i was just trying to figure out who the actual villain was and you know people would say that it is um his wife is the villain but in conjunction with um, Alex's theory,
1: it, I think it's Cobb. It
0: kind of made me question whether Cobb was the villain. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a really that's a really interesting point to touch on because um, you know, uh, Cobb from the start of the film is kind of viewed as the protagonist. And then yeah. towards the end, I was like, you know, hold up. Cobb's actually kind of the antagonist in this film because he made um, his wife believe all this crazy stuff. And yeah. you no, know, I hadn't really thought of that until the end when I um, you know, go back and think about the film overall because that's what Christopher Nolan does. And that kind of just blew my mind in a way because you you don't see that in film where the good guy is the bad guy, right? You you don't see that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well and that's really funny did, that you say uh, that. Oh sorry, same you go.
2: Um well I was just gonna say, I think Cobb's both the protagonist and the antagonist. I think he's the good guy and the bad guy. Like he... Obviously, the entire story is trying to get him back to his kids, which, which we want him to do, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, we want him to, to get to that stage. But the only thing blocking him in that stage is, I would say, his wife. But then, his wife is a projection him. of him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, really interesting. Um, but what were you going to say, Alex?
1: Um, we do get kind of subtle hints that he really doesn't care about anyone but himself throughout the film. Like, I don't know if you'll remember, but um, Saito gets shot by Mal um, in one of the dream layers, can't remember which one, but then Tom Hardy's character says, okay, we're done. This is getting too serious. Like, if we die here, we're going to be in limbo forever. And Cobb just just says, screw it, let's keep going. Mm. He'll be down there for a good 50 years in his mind, but we'll rescue him. Mm. Like, he doesn't even care that someone's mind will go, will age. Yeah. Yeah. In their world, he just says mission's still there. We can bring him out.
0: Hmm. And I think one That's of the crazy. sorry, I think one of the other things was the fact that he never told anyone about. Um, I can't remember what it was in particular, but everyone got angry at him that he hadn't revealed the the full plan of the of the dream heist in a way, um, and the consequences that it would have, where they would all be in a state of limbo. He never told anyone. He kind of was just looking at it. Um, from it only affecting himself, not anyone else. So, yeah, in a way, I do think that strictly Cobb is the only antagonist in this film. But I think he kind of has a shift from uh, the start to the finish, where he starts as a protagonist, and then at the end you realise that he really is the antagonist.
1: It's, Mm -hmm. It's funny that I came onto this podcast from Revenge of the Sith... And this movie, because when you say that, because you know, Anakin Skywalker mm. starts as the protagonist, yeah, but then we learn he's the antagonist. But throughout the films, you realise he is a bit unhinged himself. Yeah,
0: mm. it's,
1: it's a weird like it's it's quite similarity, similar but it's it. yeah, yeah.
0: I, I do think that Inception has more so hidden the fact that he's the antagonist. You know, yeah, Anakin, yeah. Anakin, it's quite obvious that he is the bad guy, um, or more so a good guy that uh, had. Um, a tough upbringing and become the bad guy, but um, yeah. I, I do think that Cobb, um, throughout the extent of the film, was secretly the bad guy. Mm. Mm. And I I really
2: see that Cobb's the antagonist when mold or Mul does appear in the snow area and she shoots. Um, who does she shoot? Is it um, uh, Saito or? yeah yeah she shoots Fisher yeah Yeah, you're right and um and Cobb has like got his scope on her and he can prevent this from happening if he just shoots the projection but he says oh but she might be real and I just remember thinking well how is she real like you know you know she's not real Mm.
1: so he's constantly fighting with himself yeah
2: yeah yeah so he's constantly like oh maybe this is reality you know it's just it's crazy um but yeah, no, it's awesome to awesome to touch on that again because I just remember th- thinking in the film like I was so frustrated. I was like, well, you're in a dream, so she's not real. It's like she didn't come into the dream with you, yeah. and then his whole his whole dilemma is that he thinks that where he is might actually be reality because he's lost grip on reality. Mm. Um, it's the whole theme of the movie, I think. Um But yeah, so without further ado, shall we touch on um, the final parts of the heist and then the ending of this film because the ending mm-hmm. of this film is brilliant. Yeah. It's just marvellous. So, so what are our thoughts, guys, on sort of the final part of the heist? So the, the truck falls into the water. We see quite a few people get out, mm-hmm. but the people who don't are um, Cobb and Sato. And and then the next scene is them waking up in the plane. Um, so thoughts guys, what do we what do we think happened there? And um and towards the end of the film, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh,
0: yeah. Uh so like I said, I do think that the scene where they all come back into this one uh coin conjoined reality, um, the reality that we are all in, um, when they come back to that one, um, I do think that was performed quite well, um, and how it was all in sync and then they, you know, went through the different dream stages. Um but one thing that I did pick up on was when they um, came back to the plane scene, I, it had been so long since we'd seen them go into the dream state in that, um in that scene. And then I kind of forgot about it. And when I, when I saw it again, I was like, hold up, did we go back in time? Like what happened here? And then I realized, oh my god, we were in another dream state.
1: <laughs> so, and exactly again, how ironic is that? Yeah, right. But so you're in the dream for so long. You, you, you don't know that. what's reality anymore.
0: And and I do think that Christopher Nolan did that on purpose. And if so, yeah. that is just spectacular, that he makes you forget that you're in a dream state. Um but like he's just kind of blurred the line so much that you forget, and that's essentially the whole premise of the film is that um, these characters in, are in a dream state and then um, his wife is kind of fighting with, you know, the fact that she can't accept coming back to uh, uh, reality. She wants to stay in this kind of limbo world that she's all made up or Cobb's made up in a way. Um, but, yeah, Christopher Nolan, man, he's just such a genius with his work and he definitely did it on purpose um, and he confused me so much that it's kind of added to the film. I just yeah. It's confusing but I like what he does, yeah. What did you I, I noticed um when
2: Saito did wake up on the plane, um, you get like a brief shot of him before he wakes up and he looks like he's lost his brain, um, which is obviously what happens because he was in limbo. And I don't know, maybe you know, I don't think he's sleeping with his eyes open, but um he's like resting his head and like all of his body's limped and he's got like his He's like mouth open and he's just like staring into nothing. Yeah, and I'm like, oh geez, he doesn't look good. Um, but then he wakes up. So, do you guys think that that final bit when we see Cobb wake up and we see everybody else wake up, do you think that's actually reality or do you think that's actually um he's that Cobb's still
1: dreaming?
0: Or well, maybe that know,
1: comes into the final, yeah. you know, spinning top. Yeah,
0: go on, go on yeah. your theory there, Milsey, because I want to hear your take on that. Mm.
1: Okay, so, obviously, I think it's still a dream, mm-hmm. but, now this is the this is a big but, Cobb does not care anymore, mm-hmm. the whole yes. movie, he is trying so hard to get back to his own reality, to get back to his children, which is his reality, which is what his wife wanted to be, um, you know, he's always spinning the top ready with the gun in his hand, about to shoot himself, if the top keeps spinning forever. Mm-hmm. And then, he's finally let go of Mal at the end. He's finally gotten over that guilt of himself, of what he did. That he finally, he does he just doesn't care anymore. doesn't care if he's still in a dream. Mm. When he sees, and you also see throughout the whole movie, every time the flashback to the kids, you never see their faces. Mm. You only yeah. see the back of their heads. But then... Finally, when he returns home, the kids turn around and he can see their faces again. Mm. And that's why he spins the top, but he's like, I don't care. I'm with my kids. Mm. This is my reality now. Yeah,
2: mm. mm. I think the point of, you know, not showing us whether that totem was wobbling or not, or whether it was going to fall or not, was to say that it doesn't matter whether it's reality or because Cobb's like accepted where he is. Like, you make
1: your own reality, yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah, so... I think that was the sort of the point, but then I can also see like Christopher Nolan, like with the camera, like evilly laughing (laughs) and being like, (laughs) and cut now. And he's like, they'll never know. Um, But I think it's interesting. Obviously this sparked an entire sort of, you know, decade worth of
1: argument. Yeah.
2: So Jaden, it seems like Alex has sort of got his theory. Uh, Jaden, what are your thoughts like hearing
0: that and then watching the movie for the first time yourself? Um, Obviously I didn't have too much time or not as much time as you guys to, uh, you know, generate a theory on the ending of this film. Um, but no, I quite like Millsy's theory or Alex's theory, um, where he's still in this dream state and he's created his own, um, reality in quotation marks with his kids. You know, he's, he's kind of sick of jumping around all the place and trying to figure all this out. And now that he's with his kids, he's seen their faces and he can hold them. Um, he just wants to stay there. He can't really be bothered, um, you know, trying to figure out a better way anymore. Yeah. He wants to stay in this state now. Um, But yeah, like I said, I didn't have as much time to, to think about this, but I I do quite like your theory and I, I I am kind of, um, I am kind of coming along with it now. And I, I understand what you have kind of sparked here. And I, I just had a question. Did you generate this or did you, Did you see something else or is this like you?
1: Well, this is kind of a, um, I think I had in my mind that I was thinking about this and a lot of different sources kind of made me formulate. But then there was this one thing I read and it was like, this is one of the biggest, I wouldn't say plot holes, but like something that adds to the thing that it's a dream is a murder charge that Cobb had against his kids, against his wife does not go away with one phone call that lasts 10 seconds. Yeah. Mm. Like how can Saito, an energy company CEO, yeah. call yeah. someone and then a whole murder charge goes away mm. and Cobb can use his real name at any airport anywhere across the mm. world. It's like, really? Like yeah. you believe that yeah, yeah. that's in a way, in, in a way
0: it's kind of like Cobb is manifesting the fact that he is innocent um, yeah. or he just wants to clear his name and, in reality, with the U.S. court system, that's not how it works. Um, yeah, exactly. You would have to go through the whole, they would have to investigate it and they would have to find out all of the um, uh, the people involved in the, in the murder. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, it's not as easy as just uh, making one phone call and then your name is clear. Um, but I do think, again, that comes back to the fact that uh, Cobb wants everything to just blow over easy and just forget about it. And now that he's with his kids, he's living the life that he
1: wants. Yeah. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Sam.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's really
2: interesting that Jaden brings up the fact that, you know, Cobb's trying to, you know, decide himself or like, you know, accept the fact that he's not guilty. But when you think about it, he actually is considering, you know, but for the fact that Cobb interfered with his wife's mind, she might've stayed in limbo Forever, but eventually you wake up from limbo, right? So, you know, it, if you think like, but for the fact that Cobb interfered with his wife's mind, she wouldn't have killed herself in reality. Mm. Um, but for me, um, when I first watched this film, I was like, oh my gosh, I need answers. Mm-hmm. So of course, I went to the internet and um, Christopher Nolan and you know all all the people involved, you know, with writing the film, etc. Like they they refuse to give an answer because it's, it's the, you know, the premise of the film is, you know, is it or not, it doesn't matter, you know? So, but however, Michael Caine is the key. Um, At least, you know, from, from my perspective anyway, he was told Michael Caine's character that um, he, he was in every single scene that he was in was reality. Um, So, you know, if yeah. Michael Keynes was in every single scene that was r- reality, then he's in the final scene. Therefore, the final scene is reality. Mm, right. So um, but you know, I I almost with things like this and ambiguous endings and such, I really almost don't like to think, okay, this is how it is. I yeah. just like the ambiguity of it. Like I just like to think of you know, it could go either way and I'll, I'm happy with that. Like I don't personally, I don't really want an answer. Like I don't want Christopher Nolan to come out and say
1: this or that dream
2: or yeah. And it's the same thing with the original blade runner. One of the main characters there's his whole theory as to whether the main character is a replicant. Well, so is he a robot or is he a human and, and Ridley Scott. So the creator says he's then that he is a replicant and then Harrison Ford, who says, who, who actually plays the character says he's not and everybody's saying different things. And I'm just happy that no one is, there's no consensus, you know, it's yeah. just, it's just ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, so I enjoy that with, with the film, but as to whether I think it's reality, I think it works better in the film if it is a reality, but then I also love your theory, Alex. So, yeah.
1: I and I did have an that. earlier theory when I first watched the movie and I watched this on some YouTube video, but, Anytime um, Cobb's in the real world, he doesn't have a ring. Uh, a ah, yes, he's wedding his ring. Every yes, yeah, time he's yeah, in a yeah. dream, he does because he wants to be with his wife. Oh, yeah. But then at the end, you don't see him with a wedding ring. So it's kind of like, you know, there's all these different little evidence that point this way, and there's other things that point that way. It's just very well done. Mm. Mm. I just I agree. I just
0: wanted to throw in something here. Um how long is the limbo state again? Like how that
1: can go on for infinite time.
0: So um, if like, I don't want him to make a sequel to this film, right? I think kind of the beauty of his films is that they are left up to interpretation. Mm. But um, at the same time, I wouldn't put it past Nolan Mm -hmm. um, making another film in 50 years um, called Limbo or something where he explains um, what happened in this film. And then he makes the time um, weighted between the two films. So um, if he was to release the film in uh, 2060 and then make a sequel to this film, I think that would just generate so much hype over the film. And if he was to do something like that, I honestly wouldn't put it past him explaining. Dedication. That would be so much dedication and, if he has already thought of doing that, he's already probably thought of doing that. Um, he's, you know, made that um, decision already. I already know he's made that decision to make that film. Um, yeah. He probably made that decision when he was making um, this film, Inception. Um, but, yeah, like we said, um, I think kind of the beauty of this film is, is that it is like a standoff film um, and he doesn't want to explain it, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, at the same time he also makes trilogies like The Dark Knight. So you never know. Mm, but if you think of The Dark
2: Knight, every um he made The Dark Knight with the attitude that every film could be the last. Yeah. That's why you have such a good ending at The Dark Knight. Yeah. Like you could have left The Dark Knight and and just not gone back to it because it was because it's a good ending. Mm. Like for the for the two films. Um so yeah, I think there's calls for a sequel to Tenet as well because obviously at the end of that film, there's still so much for the protagonist to do. Like he has to set up the entire organization. Hmm. Um, And, you know, there's obviously more action to come there. And, you know, I was thinking while I was watching this, you know, there is, you know, some untold stories here. Hmm. Um, But, yeah. What are your thoughts, Alex? Do you want a sequel to this?
1: No, I don't. I like it as exactly where it is.
0: Yeah, I don't don't want one either, to be honest. But um, I, I wouldn't put it past Nolan creating one just to uh explain what has happened in the next you know 50 years I, I could see him doing it but i don't want him to do it mm, fair enough yeah i think
2: with fam- films that i love i'm like i love this film don't stuff it up yeah i just want this film that's it yeah. you know don't give me another one don't give me a joke or two <laughs> i knew you were
0: gonna, gonna, gonna say that <laughs>
2: a joke or three um it's because of disney star wars that's what it. that's what it was but um Regardless, um, I want to pose this question to you guys. Um, I know you haven't seen all of Nolan's films, but out of the ones you have seen, do you think this is the best?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to be biased here.
1: Yeah, with The Dark Knight. <laughs>
0: the Dark Knight's my favourite film, so I'm going to say no, but this film <laughs> uh, this film, is incredibly good, and I'm not going to spoil anything until we give our final review here, but um, it's things like the sound mixing that do... Um, decrease my rating of this film. Um, but yeah, it's still an amazing film in terms of um trying to figure out what happened in it and the theories that surround it and the uh the overall acting by the cast. I mean that was great as well and the action and the and all of the new film techniques that he's found in this film and that he's uh pioneered, like you said, Sam, for um you know future films to endeavor in. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to say no only because the dark Knight is like my favorite film and that's kind of biased in a way, but yeah.
2: Mm. Would you say that it's his best like standalone film? Like obviously the dark Knight has, um, a film coming before it and after it. So would you say, I think only you've only seen this and Tenet, yeah, right. Uh, yeah.
0: This is better than Tenet, I'll say that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think I actually enjoy the premise of Tenet more, but I think this is the better film. Yeah. Um, so yeah all right so music segment um so the song going in the rewatch playlist this week is no surprise is time by Hans zimmer mm-hmm. and i might add another one in um perhaps the song that plays during the dream sequence of, of when they're in the cafe yeah. um and or maybe perhaps the song that plays um during the avalanche you know that the slow the snow
1: no oh, is that there? the one with um? Excuse the singing here, but it's like no. <laughs> yeah. Oh
2: no no no! That's like the
1: song that they played for
2: on the headphones, right? Yeah yeah. Oh no, I don't think that one's in the um the official. I mean, I can
0: add one that way. That's a really <laughs> old song, like.
1: But it, you know what's funny? That song is the length of it is two minutes twenty eight seconds, and the length hmm. of the movie is two hours twenty eight minutes. Is it actually? <laughs> yeah, you can look it up thought <laughs> oh if that's
0: the case, then that's kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be surprised.
2: I wouldn't put it past Nolan, to be honest. But um, all right then. So I think we've sort of you know touched on as much as as much as we can within the certain time limit. I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours, um, just because of the theories that arise because of it and the ab- ambiguities there. But um, do you want to transition to some final thoughts? Um, maybe Alex, you want to go first, sort of say why you like the movie and give it a tier ranking or, you know,
1: yeah. Okay. You know, so and
2: we've improved the tiers so you can give it like an a plus a minus or B plus a
1: B minus. Right. You know? right.
0: Well, we know it's in the, in the a range. So it's going to be a minus a or a plus <laughs> bold of you to assume. No, I just, kidding.
1: <laughs> well, I'll just start off. Obviously this is an a plus for me. Okay. Yep. The music. Brilliant. The action sequences. Brilliant. The humor top tier, not the best I've seen, but top tier, <laughs> the emotional um, connection I have to the movie is top tier. It's, it's all, it all works for me. It, um, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously I've seen this movie over five times and I'll continue to watch it throughout time. It's just one of my mm-hmm. favorites ever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a fair argument. That's actually a fair argument, you know, in terms of like objective viewer as well. Um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of your points there are like objectively correct. So Jaden, what are your thoughts?
0: Um, usually I write down like a a paragraph um, explaining my rating, but um, I'm just going to go off the top of my head here because I think it's more fitting. Um, I I do think that me coming from a perspective where I've watched this film once is going to um, Mm -hmm. overall impact my rating on it. And if I was to watch it five times like Millsy, I'd probably rate it elsewhere. But I want to give this film an A and I'm just going to justify it now. Uh, like I said before, I do think that the sound mixing kind of detracted from my overall rating of this film. Uh, yeah. And by no means is that like a, a huge um, like a huge negative drawback from this film. But um, I couldn't justify giving it an A plus over that because an A plus in my eyes is a perfect film. Uh, right. But at the same time, I do think a lot of the things that Nolan did in this film um, were different. They were unique and they, they have in a way changed the course of the film industry and um, all of the performances, like I said before in this film, I just loved, I think they were all great. Um, You know, even something like Yusuf who drives the van, I think he did a great performance, even though he had like little screen time. Um, But yeah, me watching the film one time, I think it will impact my rating. And like I said, if I was to watch it five times, I probably would give it an A plus, but I, I can't justify giving it an A-plus when I've watched it you know one time. I think it's just a bit uh, a bit biased on my end. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the music, which I also look at when I uh, determine my ranking, I think this music was just magnificent. Um, Hans Zimmer is just a genius, like a wizard, like I said before. Um, you're a wizard, Hans. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that he uh, this is probably one of his best scores overall um it, like i said it gave me goosebumps at the end and another thing that i like about nolan's films is that they a lot of them end on a uh like a cliffhanger and i do think i said on my review on letterbox that this is one of um one of uh the film industry's best cliffhangers and i'm going to stand by that um uh, look it, people are still thinking about this film 10 years later what does that say
1: yeah um, you
0: know i i do think christopher nolan this is probably one of his masterpieces, um, and I do think that it deserves all of the uh the great uh reviews and critiques crazy. that it's had. Yeah, the crazier, yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. Um, what about it's, you, it's Sam? It's
2: crazy. Yeah, it's crazy that this film came out in 2010. It's been out for 10 years, but if this film came out yesterday, it would have been like there, there's nothing you can do to improve like the 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 effects of this film. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just flawless. Yeah. Um but yeah, so yeah, you know, I'm in a tough position, you see, because Jaden said, oh, I'm gonna give it an A. I've watched it once. Maybe I'll give it an A plus if I watched it twice. And Alex has said, I've watched it five times, I'm gonna give it an A plus. So I'm in the middle, right like, <laughs> of do I go for an A or do I go for an A well, plus? Well, don't and, look at
0: it from our standpoint.
2: Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. I'm, I wouldn't like, you know, I'm not. I wouldn't change my review to fit your your reviews, guys. But but it's just funny that you know. Um, I do think Nolan films are, are designed to be watched twice, and here watching it twice, this is a bloody fantastic film. Mm. I will say that. Um, but unfortunately, I'm not going to. It's not perfect for me, and I think you guys already know why that is. And so I'm going to give it an A. <laughs> And I think but but I wanna stress this, I wanna stress this, okay? I've never been this close to giving an A plus to any film prior to this in on the podcast. So we've done, you know, we've done Into the Spider-Verse, we've done Joker, we've done quite a few other films where we've given A's. And those times where I've given A's, I'm like, yeah, it's an easy A. It's not an A plus because there are there are you know there are pretty pretty bold things that are wrong with the film, right? Yeah. But in this case the thing is so minor that I really, really struggled as to whether I was going to give it an A or an A plus. But I'm just going to stay safe. I'm going to give it an A. And I feel like, you know, perhaps, you know, if I watch this film more, I can get more accustomed to Moe as a character Mm -hmm. Um, because, yeah, you guys know that was the thing for me that that really, um, really stopped this film from being perfect, to be honest, because I don't think anything else is wrong with it. Like I didn't have a problem with the sound mixing and I didn't have a, a problem with literally anything else or the fact that, you know, we were constantly getting exposition. Like I know some people make fun of this film that it shouldn't be called inception. It should be called exposition um, because <laughs> there's so much, so much exposition coming at you. But for me, that's not a problem. And it's part of the beauty of the film. I love the ending. The music's fantastic. All of the things you guys have said are completely true. Um, but I think personal preference for me, i would have liked um you know um, a character of the wife that you know we get to really invest emotionally with and we get to see her before she sort of turns into this like a manipulated um person that we see in the movie mm-hmm. yeah uh, you know that's entirely personal preference so but i i think Jaden's a rating is is justified and i think alex's a plus is justified as well um, so i'm going to give it an a which gives us an average of like an an a but halfway in between an A plus, yeah. and which is exactly where I put the film, an A honest. T,
0: because half a plus is a T. Oh yeah, <laughs>
2: Not really? Sure. It's more
1: like a, just a line, but yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, true. <laughs> that would make it an A minus. You see, that would make it an A minus. But maybe, maybe like a vertical line. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a vertical line. Yes. So we'll we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um. But no, this has been a great conversation. I've I've enjoyed talking to you guys about it, and I enjoyed the fact that you guys actually push back on. On the fact that you know i had problems with more as a character because i feel like if we can't have those sort of you know discussions and what's the point of having more than one person on the podcast exactly. you see so, yeah. so so no so i actually really enjoyed that so um so thanks for that lights um and obviously thank you to the lovely listeners for listening to this episode of the podcast mm-hmm. um if you'd like to follow us on instagram you can do so at the rewatch pod um, if you'd like to subscribe to the youtube channel or just search the rewatch on youtube Thanks to Alex for coming on again. Thank you Um, for having me. uh, That's okay. It was great to have you on. Um, Fantastic movie that you brought with you this time. Um, Certainly better than Revenge of the Sith. Um, (laughs) But, but yeah, so obviously I'd love to have you back on again, maybe for another Nolan film perhaps, um, you know, a film that we can delve into the theories again. Yes. It would be awesome. So, so yeah, so I look forward to that. Jaden, do you got any thoughts on what we're doing next, mate?
0: Oh, God. Uh, you threw me under the. <laughs> uh,
2: uh, we literally have no idea. That's a. Thing. Yeah, we don't so know. We haven't hey. discussed this at all. So one I'm of the Shrek like... movies and he'll be there. The Shrek 2, let's go. Shrek 2. Oh, fantastic. I'm, I'm well down for that. That's a brilliant movie. Okay. Oh, why don't you so...
1: review one of the sequels for Star Wars? They're such good movies. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe. I particularly tomorrow. like that
1: character. Like I think her name is um, Ray!
2: Ray. <laughs> As Finn would put it. A... <laughs> <laughs> um, so on that lovely note, uh thank you for listening. Um bye for now. See ya <laughs> bye.